Would you, would you tell us, before we get into your book, uh, uh, I'll tell you, at, at some point I'm going to invite Sarah Faye, his wonderful wife, up on stage, but, uh, uh, because I want you to hear from her as well. But I love the dedication in the book. Uh, Edward dedicated it to Sarah Faye, her beauty, alto harmony, beautiful alto harmony, first caught my attention that second year of college, and I was sure that she knew every song in the world. We married in 1967, and 43 years later, she is still singing. She provides corresponding balance to my strengths and weaknesses, contributes intuitive wisdom, manages our household, and admirably fulfills the offices of mom and of nana. She lets me try out sentences on her English teacher's ears, and she makes a peanut butter pie that is justly, justly legendary. This book is lovingly dedicated to Sarah Fay. And we'll, we'll bring her up later. She told me I, sh- I was allowed to bring her up, but not for very long. So we'll, we'll, we'll wait patiently. But Edward, would you tell us a little bit about your family? We have two grown children. Our daughter, Melanie, 37, lives in Katy with her husband, Michael, and our two grandchildren, Julia, 8, and Zeke, 4. Uh, we see a lot of them. We have a son, Jeremy, who lives in Dallas, is an immigration lawyer partner up there, has a beautiful wife named Christy, and they have two daughters, uh, Brenna and Addie, who are preschool. And a week, from, uh, a week from tomorrow, they're supposed to have our fifth grandchild. That's wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you. Are they going to name any of them after you? No, they have girls. <laughs> I suggested Edwina and Edwardette, but they didn't like either one. <laughs> Edwardette didn't sell? <clears throat> Does everybody have their copy of Edward's latest book? If you don't, let's be sure and get one. Edward uh, uh, came up here and spent a long time to make sure he autographed every copy. And put a note in each one. Edward, how many books have you written? Oh, All together, big and little ones, about 20. All right. Six now in print. Six are, that are still in print. Um, all right, The Divine Rescue. In a nutshell, what's this book about? This is the story of salvation from the Garden of Eden and before to the new heavens and the new earth. And it's, a, it's telling Bible stories for grown-up people. Along the way, you get what I call stealth theology, which means without you knowing it, I'm sneaking good theology into the Bible stories. But it focuses on Jesus, and it's a book that I think... Uh, well, let me just say this. A couple of reviewers have said they started reading it and read it straight through before they put it down. I, I noticed uh, you've got... Max Lucado, who said that Edward Fudge guides us through the sweetest of stories, God's relentless pursuit of his fallen people. The drama is real. The drama is ours. And thanks to Edward, the drama is captured on paper. How'd you get him to do that? I asked him. (laughs) (laughs) And I notice also on the back, you've got Calvin Miller. Have any of y'all ever read The Singer or The Song or any of those books by Calvin Miller? They're wonderful books. He's a wonderful Christian author. He said, The Divine Rescue is the ultimate once upon a time and happily ever after story of the human race. I read it all in a single sitting and was blown away. 
Any other tale is a digression from the steadfast pursuit of a father who runs ahead of us to be sure the gates of eternity are open when we all arrive there at the end. Um, did you know Calvin Miller before this? No, I did not. I just asked him also. But you knew Max Lucado. I knew Max somewhat. Max, uh, I was very, I don't know if I should even tell this. Why not? It's just going on the internet. Not many people watch that. I was very uh, humble one time a number of years ago talking to Max when he told me that in the early 1970s, a little book I had written on the gospel helped him come to understand the grace of God. Um, as long as you give credit to the Lord, that's a wonderful thing it to say. It all came from the Lord. <laughs> it wasn't your gospel, was it? Not at all. Okay. <laughs> then that's great. All I provided was a sin. <laughs> Very good. I, I, Did I mention, can we relate to that? On the gospel, all we provided was the sin, right? I mentioned Parkinson's while ago. Yes, you did. Well, I was going to tell him that's why my legs are shaking. Okay, well, you go ahead and tell him again. Well, I, I didn't remember if I mentioned Parkinson's while ago. Yeah, I, that's why my legs are shaking and anything else that shakes along the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm not scared or timid. I'm used to speaking in public. Uh, I, there are advantages to Parkinson's. Uh, I'm the only one in the family who can bounce our grandchildren on my knee without doing anything. <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm trying out a Parkinson's diet. You eat what you can get in your mouth. <laughs> Very good. I noticed another comment on this book is uh, from John Michael Talbot, who uh, frequently when he's in Houston comes to our class here and to our church. He says, I've come to respect Edward Fudge as an elder brother in the Lord of keen intellect and warm heart. This book is one of his finest. It brings out the divine rescue through Jesus in a way that is scholarly, heartwarming, and approachable for the average Christian. I recommend it highly. Did you work to make this scholarly, heartwarming, and yet approachable for the average Christian? Yes. Tell us how you went about doing that. What was your goal? This book uh, is, is a second-generation book, really. About nine years ago, the publisher who published it asked me to write a book on the story of the, great, of the grace of God throughout the whole Bible. Sarah Faye told me at that time I could work on Saturday mornings on this. I was a full-time lawyer. And she said, you can have Saturday morning to do this, but don't be obsessive-compulsive. So I would get up about 6 o'clock, go to my study every Saturday morning, without any notes or outline or anything and had a vague idea of what I wanted to, to talk about. And it seemed like the words just came out of my fingertips into the computer onto the paper. I call that the non-biblical spiritual gift of digilalia. Uh, <laughs> but as a result of that, after about 16 weeks, the book was written. And then they, of course, had some editing. Well, in the, about uh, June of last year, that book was published in, in 02 under the name of The Great Rescue. Uh, it was about 90 pages smaller than this book. Uh, June of last year, the publisher called me and said, I would like for you to consider enlarging The Great Rescue. We'll give it another name and make it about 100 pages longer and, and rearrange it and, and updo it. And so I did that. Uh, and this is really a, basically a new book, although if you have the other one, you'll recognize a few passages here and there. We also had the good fortune last September of being invited to be guest preacher for the month of September for a little church in this little, little island called Maui. And uh, so I wrote every, every morning there as well. 
which was a wonderful memory in writing this book. Um, you used, uh, you've talked of stealth theology. You just used some stealth linguistics in that answer. You talked about digitalia. Um, glossolalia is the Greek word for, in essence, speaking in tongues. Because glossa means tongue. And the lalia is the speaking. speaking. So when you said that you had the non-biblical spiritual gift of digilalia. Would you explain? That means I feel like God is writing through my fingers on the computer because I'm not aware of what I'm saying in advance. And it doesn't always happen, but sometimes it does. And it did with this book. That you just, uh, uh, you, you were speaking in fingers. Right. But, but I will say that God drew from 50 or 60 years of previous study and all of that and gifts that he had given all together. Yeah, and, and, and in fairness to the process, were you getting some new revelation and insight that you weren't aware of? Or was it a pooling of, of how God had already used the roots that you have that had grown deep in your faith? It was definitely bringing to mind what I had known already. Okay. Um, how do you decide what to put in and what not to put in? I don't know. <laughs> well, that <laughs> clarifies it. That, that's a hard question to answer. Uh, some things seem obvious to put in. Some things are obvious not to put in. A whole lot of it is, is in between. And so, for example, David and Goliath uh, would have been a great story to include. And if I were writing again, maybe I would. But for some reason, David and Goliath didn't make the cut this time. So, <clears throat> you left out the uncircumcised Philistines throughout? Nobody's mentioned as to their status regarding that particular right. Okay. <laughs> Edward, I want to read, uh, uh, I asked Edward to pull out a section or two that we might read and then have him comment on. So, if you want to read along with me, uh, that's great. If not, uh, I think it's wonderful to be uh, listening sometimes, especially to stories as this. Uh, Edward suggested that I read on page 71, the first three paragraphs under the dreadful mountain. So I'm going to read this to you, and uh, 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 before I do it, Edward, some people will be watching this on the internet, and they will not have been here today to get a copy of your book. How could they get a copy of this? They, they and anyone else can get this and also uh, anything else I've produced and a whole ton of free materials by going to my website, which is edwardfudge.com. And, and everything that I know and do is on there. Right. So please check it out. Uh, there's also a Grace Mail publication that goes out three times a week. If you don't get that, check it out on uh, edwardfudge.com. Sign up for it. It's free. You can quit any time and you get double your money back. Um, can we get this book off places like Amazon.com? It's, uh, it's, uh, it's on all those kind of places. It will be hopefully after June in uh, Lifeway stores, and later I understand it should be in Costco stores. Okay, wonderful. All right, well, then I will start reading from uh, page 71. <clears throat> this is a chapter called Making Covenant, and this is under a bold print that says The Dreadful Mountain. Three months out of Egypt, the Israelites come to Mount Sinai, the place where the Creator had appeared to Moses in the burning bush. This time, the Creator tells Moses to prepare the people. They're about to encounter Yahweh, 
the God who rescued them from Egypt, then brought them through the Red Sea. For two days, the people wait in anxious anticipation for their invisible creator. On the third day, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. The rugged mountain already struck awe into the people's hearts, accustomed as they were to the flatlands of Egypt. But now this awesome scene turns foreboding. The mountain belches smoke like a furnace. Tremors rumble through its cliffs and its peaks begin to quake. A heavy cloud shrouds the sky until day seems as night. Peals of thunder blast like a trumpet over the mountain, echoing into the wilderness beyond. Flashes of lightning pierce the pitch black sky. The creator who rescues is no domesticated deity. He is master of the primal elements. He is God of heaven and earth. Wow. That was probably the focal point of the Jews' experience with God. It was combined with their deliverance from Egypt, uh, their gospel, you might say. And I wanted very much to try to paint a word picture here that would give us some of the sense of awe and sense of fear and trembling that they must have experienced on that occasion. Now, you've got a limit to the pages that you can write. Basically. You're having to cut stories to make sure that you make this readable and digestible. Right. I assume, knowing you as I do, you were fairly selective with your words. Did you purposefully point out that on the third day, the Lord came down from Mount Sinai, came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain? Or did that just sort of stumble in there on the third day? God has a habit of doing things on third days. Well, it does say that. (laughs) They They waited two days, and the next day after that, God comes down. Just found it interesting. I thought maybe I missed something. <laughs> no, no, no. I think you're right. I just if if he was right, he gets five points. <laughs> Edward, what's your favorite story in the Bible? Oh boy. Let me break it down. What's your favorite story to preach on in the Bible? Favorite story in the Bible or to preach on or to write about is somehow the story of Jesus. Uh as he fulfills everything that went before and as he unfolds everything that's coming after. And why is it that you enjoy that the most? Because that's the focal point of the Bible. It's the focal point of our salvation. It's the focal point of human history as it interacts with God. In that regard, one of the other sections that you've asked me to consider reading is on page 141. It's paragraph, I mean, uh, chapter 37 entitled, It is Finished. Might John himself have heard it, the final word of Jesus, when he bowed his head and died? We cannot say for sure, although John does report it in the gospel that bears his name. When we consider what Jesus has endured, the scourging and pummeling, the crucifixion itself, the cramping and hunger and thirst, the utter fatigue of body and mind, we might marvel that he utters 
any words at all. But despite it all, he does. He opens his mouth and says it. A single word in Greek, though in English three. He says it, and someone hears it, whether John or not. And John, sensing that it was important, writes it in his gospel. Tetelestai, says Jesus. It is finished. Had his language offered the tools, John surely would have marked this as an exclamation. It is finished, exclamation mark. But punctuation marks aside, we still can understand. This is a cry of victory and not defeat. With this word projected by his final breath, Jesus crosses the finish line. Though weak in volume, he claims a mighty triumph. With four syllables, Jesus signals the successful conclusion of a life devoted wholly to the Creator. Faithful in life, he is now faithful in death. Through this faithful life and death, the divine rescue is a reality. It's beautifully written. Thank you. The next chapter is called It Is Enough, which is about the resurrection and Jesus' ascension to heaven. Because when Jesus dies on the cross, he pays the price of sin, as we sometimes put it. When God raises him from the dead, he gives him his receipt. Isaiah had said, he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify the many. So Jesus completes his work of saving. God endorses it and stamps it and approves it and gives him a place of honor at his right hand in heaven. Now, Edward, you were working through this book and, and we're fairly through with it when you and Sarah Faye uh, graciously had Becky and I over for supper a number of months ago. And I remember you being tickled pink over the work you were doing titling each chapter. You, were, you, you worked really hard on the titles alone. Talk to us a little bit about how you went about doing that. Well, the first thing I wanted to do was divide the book into kind of major sections. And uh, you may notice some sort of pattern to that, uh, that we talk about the reality first, which begins with the mess the world is in and why we need to rescue her. Then the repetition, how the world starts but falls into sin immediately, and God destroys the old world and starts over with a new one. Then readiness, in which he gets his people ready for the rescue through the rest of the Old Testament. Revelation, in which throughout that period he gives them hints and clues and prophecies of what he's going to do when the Messiah comes. Rapprochement, in which the, the rescuer does come and Jesus does the work of saving us. Redux, which means that Jesus, by doing that, became himself the new Adam who did it right, the new Israel who was faithful to God, the covenant man who kept God's covenant and earned the covenant blessings, absorbed the covenant curses, and fulfill the covenant stipulations. Then we begin to talk about the blessings, and so there's a section on the realization in which it, uh, I discuss many of the different blessings of salvation in different ways. The New Testament talks about those. Then relationship, in which we talk about the community of the redeemed, the rescued fellowship, which we call the church. Reassurance, which is a look at Romans 8 and some wonderful reassuring passages that Paul has there. And finally, the results which speak of the, of the end time results and ultimately the new heavens and new earth. And the chapters in between 
Uh, some of them are just kind of obvious by the, by the material. Some of them I've tried to play with a little bit and, and uh, tantalize, like pride hits a brick wall. Uh, maybe you recognize that as a Tower of Babel. Mass confusion. Power play is the fight between Jehovah and the gods of Egypt in the plagues and so forth like that. Um, before we invite Sarah Faye up, uh, do y'all have any questions that you might like to ask Edward? Um, he's wide open. He'll answer personal questions, legal questions, or <laughs> biblical questions. I mean, this, this, this is cradle to the grave here. So uh, um, uh, any questions that you might have, raise your hand. And uh, Steve's got the microphone. If you don't have any, you're going to hear the rest of mine. And if, so, yes, if, if I don't know the answer, Mark will tell you the answer. Uh, yeah, they know better. What age group is this for? Would this be for teenagers plus adults? This is for, I'm going to start at the other end. This is for the most mature person who, uh, in the Word or uh, an adult of any age who is not familiar at all with the Bible all the way down to the first person who can read. Last night, my eight-year-old granddaughter was at our house, and I handed her the book and said, Julia, read for Papa the back cover. And she read without any difficulty the first two paragraphs that I asked her to. So I'm, I'm not trying to be uh, evasive, but it really is intended for all ages. As the comment on the cover says, I think it says that this book is for anyone from seeker to scholar who has ever wept for a broken world, who has tasted pain and passion as a partner in the human plight, who has glimpsed a glory as yet unfulfilled and sensed that there is more to come. So I hope this is a book that, that unbelievers would be interested in. It does not, by the way, have any biblical references in the whole book. They are all in the back of the book, but it reads like a novel. Uh, at the same time, those who are most familiar with the Bible, I think, will still learn some new things uh, from this. Yeah, in the back. Uh, yes, this is a seems like a very dark time that we're all going through, especially for Christianity. I was listening on Fox News last night, and or, or I can't remember if it was NPR, and they were talking about now uh, if there's government funding, you can't pray over your uh, your meal uh, with the elderly in, um, in retirement homes. You seem like a very wise person. I can already get a gist of your wisdom through the, the pages. What do you think about what's happening right now and how it's affecting Christianity? Well, we live in dark times, but we need to remember that the church has always existed in dark times for the most part. And in fact, it started and the gospel spread through the world under the most severe and, and a negative type of government that we can ne nearly imagine. God has never said that his people will have it easy. He has said that they're going to win in, in the, at the end of the story. And the good news, as a friend of mine, Randy Harris, who's a theology professor at Abilene Christian, puts it, he says, I can sum up Revelation in three short statements. Sarah Faye, I've forgotten what they were. <laughs> he says, I can sum it up in three short statements. What, is this where we invite Sarah Faye up on stage? Well, uh, Come on up, Sarah Faye. You've got to choose. God's side wins. Don't be stupid. 
Okay, give it to me again. I was paying attention to, to getting Sarah Faye up here. Well, actually, I had them out of order. Yes. Okay, go ahead. Do it right this time. Okay, do we have a microphone? I'm going to, let's see. We'll, we'll pass this around. We've got an extra one for out there. Sarah Faye, do you mind holding this? Okay, what are the three statements? God's side wins. You've got to make a choice. Don't be stupid. Okay. All right. Fair enough. What other questions do we have? Uh, 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 yes, young man. Oh, we took the mic. Okay. There you go. Okay. Where did Jesus die? Say it again. Where did Jesus die? Where did Jesus die? He was in just outside Jerusalem, which is in the land of Israel. And that's what is sometimes called the Holy Land, where most of the Bible stories happened. We got a question over there. Thank you for that question, young man. Yes. Yes, uh, uh, Edward, uh, when you write this book or any other book, do you consult or you dream with God? Uh, God really lead you the way? how to write the book, or any book that you've been writing. Did he say what? Yeah, Adam, let, let me make sure I've got your question right, Adam. When you write a book like this, do you pray to God? Do you ask for God's guidance, direction? How do you try to, to interface and, and seek God's assistance? Is that Adam yeah, Thank you, Mark. That's exactly yeah. Okay. Thank you. De- definitely ask for God's assistance. Ask him to give thoughts, to give words to express them in to give the spirit to be communicated by those words and those thoughts. And I don't claim that he always does anything supernatural, but I do feel that he assists me in that. And I feel that in this book in particular, I'll just say it this way. When I would go back and read it myself now, I say I don't think I could have written that book. So that's what I mean by God's help. Okay, very good. Good question, Adam. Um, Any other questions? All right, well, keep thinking. Oh, yes, we've got one right over here. Uh, we'll get you a microphone if we can. Uh, Jim's coming with one from the back, so hang on to your question for a moment. Okay, Steve, we've got one coming up over here. Is that Tom? No, that's okay, Mark. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I was wondering if you, if you find yourself these days approaching your readers in a different way than you might have, uh, say, 20 years ago. Uh, because uh, it seems to me like we, we live in, a, in an era where people question a great deal more and accept less. That's an interesting observation, and I agree with what you're saying. I think that in this book, uh, some accommodations, you might say, that are made to, to now and to the prospective audience now, one is that the chapters are shorter because people are used to getting their information in smaller bites. Another difference is I tried to tell the story. I don't to make affirmations and assertions. I'm not trying to prove anything. It just tells the story and invites people to come along with me. Uh, so those are both uh, perhaps responsive. Mark? Uh-oh. I would just like to briefly uh, commend you on uh, this book. It's, uh, I'm browsing through it. Uh, it's very well written in the layman's terms. Somebody a simpleton like myself could understand. 
uh, especially the last uh, chapter about the consumption, where you talk about, in essence, the revelation. Um, but you make references uh, to the revelation and the apocalypse and things like that in a way that, that you don't need like a separate study book to go through it, which um, I commend you very highly for because it's, it's an easy read and it's an educated read. But my question off on a tangent from a previous question is, um, a few weeks ago, uh, Franklin Graham was uh, uh, disinvited to the Pentagon to t talk because of his thoughts about Islam being um, uh, basically an enemy to uh, Christians, and not Muslims, but Islam. But uh, he was disinvited because they were afraid that it was going to upset the quote-unquote Muslims that worked at the Pentagon. Um, I guess my question to you is, is that I agree with Billy Gra or Franklin Graham, and uh, what are your thoughts, and Mark, you too, if you would, on Franklin Graham being disinvited to the Pentagon? Well, let me, uh, let me say this. I'm here to, to talk about the divine rescue, and that's uh, what I know something about, so I don't want to say more than what I know about, uh, but since you ask, I'll try to give you a decent answer. I think there's a general rule that those who invite people uh, sometimes disinvite the people they have invited. And if I were doing the inviting, I would have invited him and kept it kept it that way. Uh, but if they invited him, I suppose they have a right to disinvite him. If they ask for a vote on who agrees with it, I would say I don't agree with it. Uh, I think that there's definitely uh, any realist would have to say that in the world there are many Islamists, radical Islamists, whose goal is to destroy everybody who's not a Muslim. I think, on the other hand, any informed person has to say that there are many millions of Muslims who want to live quiet and peaceable lives, just like we do, and we should not confuse the two. Oh, yeah. I, um, Mr. Fudge, I'd like to thank you for coming and uh, for your information. And uh, what I want you to do is explain on you, in your book... Um, in a, in a sense, your testimony and a why you write these books so that people can understand, you know, just the love that you have in you. Um, so That's a great question, Jerry. Thank you. Why do you write these books? God, God gives us all different gifts to serve his people in the world, and I have felt uh, for many decades that God has given me the ability sometimes to write things that bless people, and that's been confirmed by some of the things I've written. So I write them because that's what I feel God has put me here to do, and I would be unfaithful to his stewardship if I didn't do it. But I hope as a re <clears throat> the result of that is that people are blessed by coming to know Jesus better and that God is, is praised and honored as a result of that. Um, okay, we've got a phone-in question. <laughs> yes. Edward, they're watching live on the Internet, <laughs> and they would like to know... Uh, uh, why I haven't asked Sarah Faye anything. Sarah Faye. Yes. <laughs> I think the moral to this story is turn your cell phones on vibrate before you go to Sunday school. Actually, probably before you go to church, too. Um, let's go ahead and do that because they'll be calling back any moment now. Um, Sarah Faye, would you please tell us, what's it like being married to Edward? Watch it. <laughs> uh, it, it is a, 
an, an incredible uh, She doesn't have a microphone, does she? Y'all I'm can a, hear I, her? I'm a school teacher voice, so I can... <laughs> All right, we're going to keep it on the internet with this. Oh, so school teacher needs one. All right. Um, being married to Edward has been a, um, a wonderful, exhilarating uh, roller coaster ride. Um, and he has um, informed me and taught me and moved me from my very um, insulated little world that I grew up in um, into a marvelous realization of the family of God as it involves so many more people than my little mind ever conceived of. Um, He has taught me. Sometimes I will say uh, I have rather reluctantly learned and I have uh, kicked and screamed a little bit as I've traveled along the pathway. But he, has, um, he is always a very um, gentle and kind teacher. And that has been um, part of why I have been able to come so far and learn so much and, and appreciate the grace of God as I never did before. Um, If I can just jump into one other thing. Um, As I was sitting there listening to Edward, um, he was was talking about writing the the Divine Rescue and and about um, the month in Maui when he was doing that. And and, um, I think he kind of shortchanged a little bit the actual researching that he did uh, because it wasn't just pulling from his previous knowledge Um, he emailed scholars about certain words and uh, one particular scholar said oh wow that's a great translation I wish I'd thought of that but but he was he was researching and he was very fastidious about getting the facts right and when he was trying to to write the part about the Tower of Babel. Um, He wanted to be sure that the porous bricks, the the way it was constructed as he was describing it, he wanted to be sure that was correct. So I I, I want you to know this is not just, I I, I don't say this in a, a bad way, it's not just that he sits and God pours out words through him. He really does research to be very careful about his his um, facts as he's stating them and then he has such a gift of of using words that he can can communicate that scholarship in a very readable way and I think that's a real gift that Edward has and it's a joy to be a partner in it um, although sometimes it's a little bit of a lonely joy because he does spend a lot of time doing it <laughs> I think we just saw she provides corresponding balance to to not just his strengths and weaknesses, but his answers as well. Yeah, we have a question over here. Hi. Hi. Um, I was just wondering. Oh, um, that's Rachel. That's my daughter. Okay, hi, Rachel. Um, I was just wondering if you felt like there was anything new that you learned um, in all that research and everything uniquely in writing this book that maybe you hadn't 
um, felt like you knew as well before or any new insight you might have garnered? Did you learn anything unique to, or new to you, fresh, as you wrote this book? Yes, I did. And, and Sarah Fay was right. I forgot about all that study and research. Uh, <laughs> yes, thank you for that question. One area that I, I learned something about that I did not know anything at all about before comes in the chapters on the uh, uh, Tower of Babel, whatever I call those chapters, and, and the fact that these people at Shinar who build the tower may have been led by an ancient character uh, who, who is the grandson of Shem, the son of Noah, named Nimrod, whose name means rebel, who in Jewish literature is construed as a very devious fellow who is trying to revolt against God. And this tower may have been a, a fist in God's face saying, just try to destroy us by another flood and see who wins this time. I had no idea of any of that, but that's in the book. Uh, although it's stated as Jewish tradition, it may or may not be true. Yeah, we've got uh, several more questions. We've got about three more minutes. So um, um, let's uh, use them. Thank you. Um, I have a book ministry, and so many times when I find a wonderful Christian book, I buy tons of them and share them with people. And this book really seems to be like something that I could really use. I know a little girl who's been um, in Muslim Islam, and she's just become a Christian, and she's so anxious to suck up. She got one of Mark's Bibles, and she's just thanked me so many times in this. But I want to caution everybody in here, having, I'm probably a lot older than a lot of you, but there are so many people in Christian churches that don't have a clue. They think they're Christians, and then you start talking to them and getting to the nitty-gritty, and they have it all mixed up. And if you feel that you can invest in this book and ask a few poignant questions and get people to read it, because we always think we have to go out to the lost, and you all can't imagine how many lost people there are in churches today. Yeah, thank you. Um, in other words, Edward, can we get bulk discounts? Yes, you, 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 you definitely can get bulk discounts, and I want to mention that the second chapter begins, hopefully, in a way that would appeal to anybody out there, that there is general agreement on this grim assessment is hardly remarkable. In fact, one has only to look in any direction to see the undeniable evidence of a broken world. Everything is broken, wails Bob Dylan, who names 30 broken things to reinforce the point. But it tries to grab people out here without being churchy or preachy and draw them into the Bible story. Excellent. Okay, we've got a last question, George. Yes, Mr. Fudge. Um, Jerry Lee set up my question uh, quite well, and that is he, he, he wanted to know what brings you to do this. You know, what, what's the love that you have that brings you to do such a uh, detailed and wonderful work? And there are so few people like yourself and Mark that, that have the knowledge and resources to bring to a task like this. My question is, is uh, do, you have, are you, do you have any anxious feelings about, like, things, what's, what's left unwritten for you? What's, you know, what's yeah, next? Yeah, what's next? Uh, it, it depends on what the Lord We're kind of liking your books in this class. When, when do we get our next one? I've, got, I've got, got three ideas right now for the next one. I don't know which it may be if one of those. One is a, a book that might be called Between the Ages, in which you talk about the fact we live in the old age that's passing away, and we already live in the age to come, which began with Jesus' resurrection and Pentecost and the implications of that. Another possible book is on the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts, and another possible book is a revision of the New Testament that I would call the Common Version, which does for all the New Testament what I did in the Hebrews commentary for Hebrews, 
Now take six modern language versions, standard versions, compare them word by word, and produce the majority reading. Okay, we do have time for one last question. We've got a young lady over here who has a question. Yes. On page 11, there's little sayings like at the beginning of each chapter. Are those your words or did you just find them? That's a good question. Page 11, at the beginning of the reality section, there's some italicized words in a quotation. Are they yours or yes, someone I'm, else's? I'm glad you asked that. Each of the ten major sections begins with an italicized quote like that. That's a quotation out of one of the chapters in that section. And on that same idea, let me add this, that as you go through, you'll find a number of places where there's some free verse like a little poetry uh, stuck in without anybody being attributed as author. And I also wrote that myself and stuck it in. So if it, if it doesn't have somebody else's name on it, I'm the one who's guilty. Well, <laughs> Edward, uh, we will say thank you to you in a minute. But before we do, recognizing that our time is up here, uh, 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 and would you uh, please pray over our class? Holy Father, thank you for your gift of your word and of yourself and your son. Thank you for this church and its 40 years of ministry. Thank you for this class, uh, which is so astounding in its makeup and in its regular teacher that you have brought together hungry people who seek your word and truth, and you brought them together with Mark, who is such a gifted teacher. I pray your blessings on this class that is here, but also as it goes out through the Internet and the people around the world that I've recommended the website to, to to be blessed by what goes on in this biblical literacy class at Champion Forest Baptist Church. Please bless each person who is here. Use us all in ways that you have seen fit to gift us, and let us all be to the praise of the glory of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Edward, very much. Thank you, Sarah They're standing up for you. I'll have Edward down here if you want to just come say hello to him or to Sarah Fay. We'll see y'all over in the new space, the old new space, next Sunday. God bless you.